You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. What's up, Mill Sunday Schoolers? Sorry to scare you like that first thing in the morning. Uh, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. So glad that you're here. Uh, meet somebody you don't know. Venture out beyond your table. Meet someone. We are going to do a couple discussion questions today. So join a bigger table. Meet and greet someone you don't know. Is it Chris? Yeah. Sweet, man. Yeah. Right? yeah. Dude, look at this Bible. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's Sweet. It's like Eastern. Yeah, I get it. Nice. It's the four Gospels, right? The lion, lion eagle. Dude, sweet. Love it. Well, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you want, you can turn into your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, We're kind of in the habit of uh, encouraging you to turn to the text in your own book or uh, phone app, if you have a Bible phone app, or the Bibles, uh, paper Bibles are on the tables. And turn to Matthew 16. We we encourage you to look at the context of what we're reading and get get into it. And this passage says a lot about what we're talking about today, which is namely the, the messianic role that Jesus had. And it's the declaration that he was, is the Messiah. So Matthew 16, uh, starting in verse 13, is this conversation uh, that Jesus is having with his disciples. And it says that when Jesus got to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is in Israel, this area, he asked his disciples this question. He said, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And that title, Son of Man, was one that Jesus was using for himself and that uh, he welcomed. And so he was basically saying, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they're kind of like associating Jesus with a prophet, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, these these famous prophets that are living and did live. And then he says this in verse 15, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, or maybe your, your version says Christ. Uh, that's the same, same definition of the word. One's Greek, one's Hebrew. We'll talk about that in a second. But you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we welcome you and, and praise your holy name that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah the one predicted in the Old Testament to fulfill the, the law, to fulfill the Old Testament promises that were to come. We thank you for coming in such a way that you did, that you made yourself known to us, and still today we can think about you and worship you um, as, as our Lord and Savior. So we praise you, Jesus. 
We love you this morning. And everybody screamed, amen. So uh, I want to tell you a story, uh, a quick story about a guy living today that claims to be the Messiah. And there's been lots of claims of people saying that they're the Messiah because throughout the Old Testament is this hope and this dream that the Messiah is coming. And once there's something like that, well, then sometimes people latch on to that idea and latch on to the other people's hopes and say, oh, I am that person. You know, give me authority. Give me your worship. Give me uh, your money, whatever. Um, I'm that person. So here's a guy. Here's his picture right here. His name is uh, Goel Ranzan. Ratzon, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, and he claims that he's the Messiah. He's living today. And he claims that there are uh, miracles that follow him. He claims that uh, he um, is, is the Jewish Messiah. He's, he is Israeli. He's Jewish. He's from Tel Aviv. Um, claiming to be the Messiah, has a following of a group of people. Said that about this, like people asked him, uh, a reporter asked him, well, what's so, you know, what makes you so special? Why do you have this ma- magnetic attention? People giving you, uh, the, the people following him, people uh, thinking he is the Messiah. And he responded with, well, I'm perfect, is what he said, that he's perfect. Uh, people said this about him. Some of his followers said, he is the Messiah that everyone talks about. The day he re- decides to reveal himself, this country will see it. Well, it turns out that, uh, I think it was about a year ago or so, uh, that he was arrested. And here he is in uh, court. And uh, turns out that he was abusing that, that title by saying that he was the Messiah. This guru, um, he had something like 32 wives living with him, dozens of children, and is uh, charged with sexual offenses, enslavement, deception, with, with more than more than one wife, and even some of the children, sadly enough. And he's, his indictment said that he had, uh, he used his status of omnipotence with healing powers, and he said that he was also had the ability to curse and destroy. So people were, his followers were afraid of him. And sadly, the, the women um, were in a fragile mental state and as victims of trauma over years and years. And so is this man the Messiah? No, he's in jail. He doesn't have the evidence. He doesn't have the proof of being a Messiah. Pretty clearly turns out to be someone who used that and was a con man and used it to take advantage of people. And and it's just horrible what what happened here. Um, But there he is, kind of hanging his head in shame in court there. And so we ask ask ourselves this question as the Mill Sunday School today. Well, what about Jesus? Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Is there proof that he was? And so that's kind of the the, the big idea of this morning as we are here in the Mill Sunday School. So, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. We're glad that you're here. Um, we uh, are kind of the nerds of new life, right? And, and we mean that, of course, in a good way, in a positive way. Uh, with Sunday School, the Mill Sunday School is open to all ages. I see sometimes people that are younger than their 20s, older than their 20s. That's fine. We don't card at the door. Everyone is welcome. This is kind of a place where I sometimes hear, like, people say, oh, I wish we had Sunday School for, you know, outside of the mill. Well, we welcome you. So come on in. So if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, there's cards on the table. If you want to fill one of these out, we have a gift for you as you leave in the back. You could fill it out with as much or as little information as you want. The gift is just a CD, a worship, and a welcome sermon um, that we want you to have. It's from Friday night, which is our main 20-somethings meeting. So yeah, so that's about it for announcements. Other than today is me and my wife's sixth anniversary. There she is over there. Wait, hi. So, yeah, we got married like six years ago today, and so 
that's kind of cool. So thanks for cheering for us. So let's get started with uh, today's lesson, which is a continuation of this nine-month-long topic of systematic theology. We have been doing it. We are going to continue doing it until May. And here we are in January, a little more than halfway through this series. And if you do systematic theology, then you kind of follow this order that you see on the, on the bookmarks that are out on the table. We are doing systematic theology because we're following the system. And, and we're taking, we specifically are taking a month per topic and going in this order. And it kind of flows if you've been with us over these last couple months. And here we are in Christology, the study of Christ, yeah, good. Um, kind of a duh, but you know, you never know. Uh, so Christology, the study of Jesus Christ, is really broken down into two parts. And these last two weeks, uh, myself and then Aaron Wagner uh, before me taught about uh, the person of Jesus Christ. So there's two parts of Christology, the person, and then we're going to talk about the work of Jesus. The person of Jesus, we kind of defined um, with this analogy of this picture we looked at last week. Did anybody notice anything weird about his eyes? His eyes are a little different. And we, we talked last week how the artist depicted, uh, the artist depicted Jesus in this painting with, with two different eyes, as if they're two different eyes from two different people, um, to depict this dual nature of Jesus Christ, that he was God and that he was human 100% at the same time. So that's the person of Jesus, what we talked about last week and the week before. And so today, and then uh, next Sunday, we're going to talk about the work of Jesus, what he did. Um, who he was and what he did makes up what Christology is. And today, we're going to specifically talk about the role that he took on in being the Messiah and and fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. We're going to look at that and hopefully to have these aha moments where like, yeah, the Old Testament is totally fulfilled in Jesus Christ as as the prophet and, and Messiah, the anointed one who was to come. And so we're going to talk about in some ways the Jewishness of Jesus, which is a very important aspect of who he was um, that we'll get into today. And, and when we say that he was the Messiah, when we say that he was the Christ, when we say Jesus Christ, Christ isn't his last name. Did you know that? Uh, Christ is a title. It's the Greek word uh, for Messiah. And Messiah is the Hebrew word for the Greek word Christ. And so the English word is uh, anointed one, or we, we would say, because we're familiar with it, Christ or Messiah, those words have kind of uh, the etymology has stuck with those two words, and we still have them today. And so it's the idea, literally, of the anointed one that was to come. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this idea that the anointed one, a prophet, a servant, will come in the name of God. Um, he will be born of a virgin, and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so um, this idea that Jesus was Jewish, Jesus was the Messiah, he's the Christ, and that's the title we give him. And so this interesting question, so I'm going to tell you a quick story and then throw back the question upon you for you to think about. But when I was a kid, um, I grew up Christian and going to church and uh, went to a uh, public school, so there was kids from all over uh, the place, uh, religious backgrounds. And I remember riding home, uh, I had this friend that was a Jewish kid, and he, we, I remember like around Christmas time, he didn't celebrate Christmas, and I was like, oh my gosh, 
how could you not get anything from Santa? Which is very weird because it's like, well, Santa's not even... Anyways, so, but anyways, uh, he celebrated Hanukkah, of course. And uh, he, we, me and him, I, I think it was like first or second grade. So it'd be so interesting for me to like go back and be a fly on the wall and, and observe this conversation between me as a first grader and this little Jewish kid as a first grader. But we were talking about whose religion was correct. And we were like going back and forth. And he made the point... Um, that Jesus was Jewish. And I was like, nuh-uh, stupid. And he was like, yeah, stupid. Um, and I was like, duh, Jesus was a Christian. If Jesus was Jewish, then we'd be Jewish, stupid head. And he's like, you're the stupid head. Go ask somebody. Um, and so we were like, nuh-uh, yeah, huh. It's like, it's this whole thing where he was just like, if Jesus was Jewish, then, then that's the true religion. And I was like, it's impossible that Jesus was Jewish, dummy. Because if Jesus was Jewish, then we'd be Jewish. Jesus was a Christian, dummy. Um, it's just really funny in my head. Like, I remember this conversation. Um, like getting all passionate about it. Nuh-uh, yeah. And, and, and I remember asking that. So that week I asked my Sunday school teacher, um, just like, I'm sure it was like out of the blue, like raised my hand. Like we were probably talking about something totally different. And I raised my hand. I was like, is Jesus Jewish? And the teacher was just like, yeah, he was Jewish. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm following the wrong religion. <laughs> that kid was right. Um, so that's the question. So the answer is in some ways simple, but in some ways a little complex. So I want to give it back to you as a discussion question. So if you're at a smaller table, join in or welcome people to your table and talk about just that idea. If Jesus uh, was Jewish, why are we Christian? So talk through that just a little bit. Talk a little bit. I think there's a kind of an obvious answer, but then go beyond that and talk. Um, what does that mean for us today? So discuss that. Ready, cassette, discuss. like another minute to wrap up. So, um to interrupt your conversations. Uh, this, so was Jesus Jewish? Yes or no? 
Yeah, he was. And you might say, well, technically he was, I just heard. Uh, so what does Jewish mean? Well, it kind of means two things. As maybe you mentioned in your conversations at your tables, it means two things. A, a people, and B, a religion. Did anyone mention this at your tables? You're like, well, it's a, it's a race. You could be Jewish uh, by race. But, and so you could be born Jewish by, by a Jewish family, uh, descendants of Father Abraham, because he had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right and let our sit down. Allah. Anyways, uh, which I always think is funny that Christians sing that, because it's like, wait, we're not descendants of Abraham, um, but we are spiritually, and we'll get to that in a second. So it's like, it's, I, but as kids, I, I was like, we're descendants of Abraham? And he was like, no. I, anyways, lots of confusion as a kid. I probably had a pretty messed up childhood because of it, but um, maybe that's why I, be, I became a Sunday school pastor, because I had all these questions in Sunday school that were never really answered. Anyways, um, so... Being Jewish, you, it's a race. You could be Jewish in nationality. Is anyone in here Jewish by some, maybe half Jew, quarter Jew, 16th? Oh, a couple of you, one, two, three, four-ish. Sweet. So there's some of us that are, I'm not one of us, but there's some of us as Christians maybe that are Jewish by race. Um, like Adam Sandler, Jewish by race and sings the Hanukkah song about uh, different people being, uh, <laughs> what's the line? Uh, we got... Ann Landers and her sister, Dear Abby. What's the, Harrison Ford is a quarter Jew, not too shabby. Um, anyways, uh, if that helps you. Uh, so Adam Sandler, Jewish by race. Uh, I, don't, I don't know his personal life enough to know if he's a practicing Jew, uh, but it's also religion. So someone who's not Jewish, let's say if you're German or Scottish or English, Polish, and German, like I am, I'm kind of a mutt of all those things, I could become a Jew if I wanted to and convert to the Jewish religion, and then I would be Jewish religion. However, I'm not Jewish by person, by, by race. And so we would say Jesus was Jewish by uh, person. He was born from a Jewish family, Mary and Joseph, uh, although he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that's a whole other uh, conversation and thing, but he was Jewish by race. And, but was he Jewish by religion? I think some of you would make a pretty strong argument that, yeah, I would say he was Jewish by religion and that he prayed to Yahweh. He memorized and read the Old Testament. He went to synagogue and temple. Um, and so he was in, in so many ways, uh, very obvious ways, he was Jewish by race and Jewish by religion. But was he just a person? And we, we, yeah, last week, we analyzed the claims of Jesus as God, that he claimed to be God. His followers claimed that he was God. And so we would say that Jesus wasn't just a Jewish person um, like Jewish people that live today, like anyone that lives today. He was, in fact, God. So he wasn't just the Messiah. He wasn't just the Christ, uh, the anointed one, the one to come. But he, he blew that whole thing out of the water by this, this claim that he was actually God himself, which kind of goes into what we talked about last week. If you were here, we really went through those verses and uh, kind of showed that and proved that in a historical, in the New Testament, then Jesus' own claims that he was God. And so we, being Christians, are followers of Christ. Hence our name, Christians. We're followers of the Christ, followers of the one that we think, that we believe, 
is the Messiah, the one predicted in the Old Testament to come, and not just the, the, the anointed one, not just the Christ, but God himself. And so that's kind of the short answer. Did you mention that at your tables? That like, yeah, Jesus is Jewish um, in, in the, the both of the ways. He was a, the person of Jewish race, and he was a follower of the religion, but we follow him because he was God. Um, and so that's what we kind of that's, that's a pillar of our faith, that Jesus was God, therefore we are Christians, followers of him, even though he was Jewish in he, that he prayed to Yahweh, but he was Yahweh, and so that goes back to what we talked about last week. So, what we want to talk about today is this religion piece that I've circled and highlighted, that uh, he was Jewish in religion, and that in the Old Testament, these fulfillings of this prophecy that he was to come, that the anointed one, the servant, uh, the Messiah, the Christ, in the Greek word, was to come, and that he was fulfilled in Jesus, the person. So here's a discussion question. As, as we talk about religion, another discussion question for you to get right back into it. Um, what are some of the most important tenets of the, of the Jewish faith from the Old Testament? So if you look at the Old Testament, and you're an Old Testament believer, uh, and let's say you don't believe in the Old, uh, the New Testament, you're just Jewish at the time of Christ, what are the most important things to you as a Jewish follower in the ancient world at the time of Christ? Um, what are they? Maybe li- I'm going to list five of them, so if, maybe that make that a goal for you, but maybe list them out and assign someone a scribe at your table, just point to someone, hopefully they will do it, and then list some of the major tenets of the Jewish faith from the Old Testament. So ready, get set,
I'll give you another minute to wrap up. All right, if I could interrupt, uh, I have five of them. I call them the five Jewish pillars, but what did you come up with? Yell one of them out. How many of you came up with five or more? Anybody? Oh, awesome. Because you're Sunday schoolers, of course. What did you guys come up with? Name one. Observances, traditions, uh, the festivals. Good. Yeah, over here. The, 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 they're what? Purity of the race. Yeah, that they are a people. That's one of the ones that I listed. You guys? They're waiting for the Messiah. What else? Maybe further back now. They're monotheistic. Anybody else list that they believe in God? Pretty important one. Uh, yeah, that's good. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching a class on Tuesday nights, uh, church history, and so we as a, as a class talked about some of these things. And so Bucky and Adam Molesky are in that class. Uh, Bucky, what do you got for us? The temple is a pretty important. Anyone else list temple or tabernacle? Molesky? The Torah, the law? Um, here, here's the five that I have. And so these are by no means the five. It's not like they're listed alongside of the Ten Commandments. But I think once you see the five, you'll be like, yeah, these were very important to the Jewish people at the time. I'm calling them the five pillars, which are, if you're listing them on your notes, I'm going to list them in this order. And list the first one as um, monotheism that uh, Jared, not uh, said, that, that they believed in one God, which was pretty insane, pretty unusual at the time of the ancient world, time of Moses, like 4,000 years ago, for a people to only worship one God. It was like, oh, the wind's blowing. Let's worship the wind. Oh, the sun's shining. Let's worship the sun. Oh, the grass is growing. Let's worship a God of agriculture and grass. And so there's all these different gods, whereas the Jewish people um, were, were, were unusual and they worshiped one God. Um, and they proclaim that. If you look at Deuteronomy 6.4, one of the most important verses for any Jewish person, maybe even still living today, if you, if you know of a, a practicing Jewish person, you should ask them, do you know Deuteronomy 6.4? Do you know the Shema? And they will probably be able to quote it back to you in Hebrew. And it is, the Shema is the word for here in, in uh, uh, Hebrew. And so it says, here, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And so they, they will quote that sometimes daily, sometimes a couple times a day. A very important verse, and it starts off with the Lord is one. And it's very important to the Jewish people. Um, the, the next one is the Torah that Adam said, the, the law. Um, Deuteronomy 28 says that if you follow the law, if you obey the Lord your God and keep the commandments, uh, the Lord will exalt you above all other nations. And again and again, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, the law, all these laws about what to eat, what to do, how to rest, uh, how to punish people, um, what to do if you have a disease, like all these things, keep the law and you will be blessed. So that's very important to the Jewish people, the law, number two. Number three, the temple. 
the, the place where God actually lived. David is, God tells David, build my house so that I have a place to dwell. And he kind of starts it, but then Solomon finishes the temple where God will live because before that, God was just living in a tabernacle, a, a tent of some sort. And so it's this place that the Jewish people would come and bring sacrifices and kill those sacrifices before God because God lived in, he dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Um, uh, number four, the people that they are a race, that they are a nation, that they, um, you know, it says uh, again and again in this phrase, it's Leviticus 26, 12, I will walk among, this is God speaking, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. So I'll be your God. You'll be my people. You are my chosen. You are my people to carry out my plan. And as Christians, we would look back and say, yeah, God picked and chose these people so that out of them, salvation might come for everyone. And we'd say, that's Jesus, salvation for everyone. But, but the people, this chosenness in the Old Testament is throughout. It's a huge theme. And then five, I've listed uh, the land. Anyone else list this? Like the, the land uh, that the God gave the Israelites is so important to them. The land flowing with milk and honey. Go in. Take the land, you know, kick out the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, and the, uh, what's the other one? Jebusites, did I say that one? Anyways, kick them out and take this land. I'm giving it to you because the people that lived there were horrible and detestable and child sacrifices and horrible things going on. So kick them out and take the land. I'm going to give it to you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's for you, for, for, for all ages. It's, it's a land I'm promising to you. And so at the time of Rome, at the time of Jesus, um, here's like uh, the, the Roman uh, logo, I guess, of the day, S-P-Q-R, these, these Latin words for the Senatus Populus uh, Rome Romanus. So it's this Latin phrase for basically Senate, the people of Rome. If you've heard, has anybody ever seen that before? And you're like, what does that mean? How does that stand for Rome? Well, now you know. Um, so at the time of Jesus, at the time of Rome, in the days of Augustus Caesar, when he ruled and uh, Pilate was the governor, or the Roman governor over uh, in Jerusalem, Rome was basically in charge of the Jewish nation of Israel and Jerusalem. And for some reason or another, these five pillars were being stressed one by one. Uh, the, the Romans brought in their, you know, plethora of gods that they worshipped and were setting up temples to Roman gods. And, and so in one way or another, the monotheism was being stressed. Uh, the law was obviously being stressed. The Romans ha- owned, you know, Israel. They, they, they occupied it. And, they, and so they didn't give the Jewish people... The, the full law that they could exercise. If you remember right, Jesus is brought before uh, the Jewish leaders and they, they want to execute him, but can they execute him, the Jewish? No. And so that's the reason for that interchange between the Jewish and they bring him to Pilate because Pilate is the governor, the Roman governor, uh, and, or Pontus or whatever, whatever his particular position is. And he has the ability to, to execute because the Jewish people did not, so they couldn't exercise the full law. The temple was, was in some ways being questioned or limited, that people couldn't just meet and gather because the Romans thought, oh, if too many people meet, they're going to riot and, and cause uh, chaos in the cities. And so the temple was being limited. Uh, as a people, and the people in land, they obviously were being oppressed by another country, another the Roman rule upon their lives. Um, and, and so th- you could see that all five of these pillars are being stressed by the Roman Empire, and the Jews are waiting. They're like, well, the Old Testament uh, says that 
Again and again, the anointed one is going to come. He's going to ride in and he's going to take over. He's going to be like uh, a king. And so I've portrayed him as, a, at least this painting at least, uh, portrays uh, the coming Messiah on a white horse coming in and fulfilling uh, Jeremiah 33, 33, uh, that says, uh, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people in Israel back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors, says the Lord. So here they are. Uh, some of them back in Israel, and yet do they have control of it? Do they, are they, no, Rome is occupying them. Um, they're still awaiting this Messiah. Hosea 3, uh, 4 and 5 says, um, for there will be days without a king or a prince, which at the time of Jesus, there was no king or prince. Um, and, and so, but afterwards, so it's just like afterwards, there will be a king. There, there's this coming Messiah, this king that's coming. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and, and, and David their king and they will come trembling before the Lord. And so they're awaiting this utopian like idea that the, you know, the lion will lie down with the lamb and, and, and this king will come in and rule and give them back their land and they will have full reign and, and they could restore the law fully and have their temple and all their meetings back and not have to go and be persecuted under Roman control. And along comes Jesus, the one we say is the Messiah, and he fulfilled those things in a rather unusual way to the Jewish people. Because instead of riding in on a white horse and a sword and with an army, he comes in humbly, you know, born of a virgin. Um, he comes in and here's, I put this picture as the, the cover of today's notes. And this is the scene whereby which Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss and the, the, the ruling authorities come in to take Jesus away. And instead of uh, starting a war, instead of starting an army and retaliating and becoming this king and leading a rebellion, Jesus says, I've not come here to lead a rebellion. And he says that because Peter pulls out his sword and, and slices at a man's head. I mean, think about it. He slices off the ear. Think about how close the ear is to like the deadly wound of the head. He was trying to kill someone. Um, and Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. I, I haven't come here to, to, to lead a rebellion. Um, but, but then, so he goes humbly. And so the, so the Jewish people in some ways could be saying, you know, Jesus wasn't the Messiah because he didn't come and reign. He didn't come and rule. He didn't come and take back um, and give the, the land back and the law back. Um, but what we would say as Christians is that he turned it on its head in some ways. This, this, this paradigm totally shifts when Jesus comes and he fulfills the law. He gives back these pillars, which I'm going to try to show you in just a second. Maybe there'll be this aha moment for you where you're like, yeah, Jesus did fulfill it. Um, but he doesn't fulfill it in the way that is, is secular and worldly and with power and with politics. Instead, he fills it in the heavenly realms. He fills it with this, with this coming uh, of a uh, heavenly king so that, you know, the whole earth will know that he is the one who was to come. And so let's look at that for a second. So here's the five pillars again. And this, this idea that they were fulfilled in Jesus. And so I'm going to go through each one and talk about it and kind of put a dotted line through each one and say, yes, check mark. Jesus did in some ways fulfill this at the time he lived. And, and not just in some ways, but fully fulfilled, maybe in a different way that the Jewish people were thinking, but fulfilled it nonetheless. And so the monotheism, we'd say um, he came as God. He fulfilled this role that, that the people and God were separate from each other. And Jesus came as a bridge to fulfill that. You know, Isaiah, I think I already mentioned this passage, Isaiah 7, 14, which Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. And it says that uh, the virgin, the, 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 there will be a sign and the, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, 
a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which is the, the Hebrew word for God with us. So it's like, yeah, Jesus fulfilled that. He was God with us. And we would take that, uh, that and say, yeah, not just like a representative of God with us, but literally God with us. He fulfilled that role of, of, of being the, this, this servant and, and being God himself and being the logos, this bridge between God and us. And so we'd say that Jesus totally fulfilled that. And he claimed that he was God, and you could listen to last week's podcast, and, and that he made these claims, he is God. He fulfilled this idea that, yes, God is true and one. And, and the, from there, we get this idea of the, the Trinity, that, he, that God is a God with persons. So we still believe in one God, and, and we, could, we talked about that a little bit last week. It's a whole other lecture to go into. But then he also fulfills the law, this point number two. And he says, Thing. Well, first of all, he's accused of not following the law at all because there's uh, the Jewish Pharisees at the time see him like grabbing some wheat from uh, a wheat flour, I guess, and, and squishing it in his hands and then eating it on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, which to them and their Pharisaical laws was breaking the law. Here's Jesus breaking the Sabbath law. He should be stoned to death. Because that's what they did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you could read the story of a man that's on Saturday out collecting wood. And God clearly says, do not work on Saturday. Here's this man working on Saturday. And so they execute him. And that was what God wanted to, to, to make a point of this man that was working on the Sabbath. So Jesus comes along and potentially breaks that law, at least according to the Pharisaical laws at the time. And he says something like, uh, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And say, like, okay, that's, that's interesting that Jesus is, is fulfilling that. He's turning it on its head. He uh, fulfills it in such a way that um, he like brings the, the greater law out. You know, he says, uh, the greater law is to love your God and to love uh, people, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, that's the true fulfillment of the law. So Jesus totally fulfills the law. However, not like the Jewish people would want. They would want him to come in, take out Rome so that they could uh, in, in do their, you know, the, all the laws that are specifically written in the Old Testament. And Jesus like one ups it. He says, you know, here's the true law. Love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The temple, this point number three, fulfilled by Jesus. I would say that Jesus came and said some pretty insane things at the time. I imagine if you're there and you're looking at the temple, Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. It's like, what? Like, that's like talkings of an insane person, at least if you're there at the time of Jesus. It'd be, I thought of this comparison. If someone came in here and took a Bible and said, burn this Bible and I will write it in three days. We'd just be like, who the heck are you? You know, who, who, why would you make that claim? The Bible is so holy to us. It's so, <coughs> we'd say it's the word of God. It's how we know truth. You can't just rewrite it in three days. Um, but the same claim, Jesus says, <coughs> excuse me, destroy the temple and I will raise it in three days. But he, of course, is talking about his own body, that God dwells in him because he is God. And then we have passages in the New Testament, like 1 Corinthians 3.16. Oh, ever notice that like 3.16 verses, you see that a lot? Anyways, maybe just random, but I think it's cool. Um, so 1 Corinthians 3.16 uh, says that, don't you know that you yourselves, plural, are God's temple and that his spirit lives in you. So this fulfilling that, that God is no longer going to live in a building, but he's going to live in his church and the people and dwell inside of them. So being fulfilled by Jesus under this new covenant, the, the temple is being fulfilled. And then the people thing, 
uh, is, is totally blown out of the water by Jesus in an awesome, fulfilling way. In that, um, that, that after Jesus comes, and the writings of Paul and these, these things that we now have, Gentiles can, can come into the kingdom of God, that this Messiah opens up the doors for all people to follow the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. And Jesus says things that just, just are insane at the time of the Jewish people uh, in the ancient world. If you remember in Matthew 8, there's this story of a Roman centurion. So he's probably a pagan Roman centurion um, that, that comes before Jesus and says, my servant's sick. Uh, and Jesus says, basically, you want me to come and heal him? And the servant says, no, no need to come. You could just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then Jesus says something along the lines of, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Like think about how insane, or maybe not insane, how unusual and how awesome that statement would be. It would be like, and I thought of another example, if I was interacting with someone and and maybe uh, someone from India, Hindu, came in and and they just in some way expressed faith in Yahweh in, in some way. And, and, and the statement was made, uh, there's no one of greater faith in all of New Life Church than this Indian Hindu man. Everyone would be like, whoa, like what about the pastors? What about, you know, us? What about the people that are praying and fasting? Like how does this guy get the status of, you know, the most faithful in all of New Life? Well, that, that was the kind of thing that I, I imagine the Jewish people of the time must have thought when Jesus said that. It's like, how can this Gentile, this Roman centurion pagan guy be the, have this title of greatest faith in all of Israel. And then Jesus continues it and says this, uh, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west, like so outside of Israel is how I see this, and they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the kingdom of heaven. So he's like throwing it back on the Jewish people and saying, from outside of the people, other people are going to come in and, and have this faith and, and be followers and join in with the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it's like God is choosing now. He used Israel as a chosen people to choose the whole world and to show the whole world his salvation. How awesome is that for us as non-Jewish people that we can be included and we could sing along with Father Abraham, had many sons, that we are one of them because of the work of Jesus. And finally, this idea of land and this, this political idea that we'll kind of close with now. Um, this idea that uh, Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah to come. And I think in some ways, if you talk to a Jewish person today and you ask them a question like, hey, do you think Jesus was the Messiah? In some ways, uh, they'll say no right away. And in some ways, they'll answer that question with, well, he didn't fulfill the king. He didn't become king of Israel. In fact, he was executed for, for, be, for claiming to be God. He was executed. So how could this executed person, executed as a criminal person, be the Messiah? They didn't fulfill uh, the kingdom. They didn't fulfill, uh, he wasn't king. The Romans still ruled at the time. In fact, if you talk to someone today, a Jewish person, they might even say, well, heck, we don't even have all of Israel still yet today. So, of course, the Messiah has not come because we don't have the land yet. We don't have, if you go to Jerusalem and you go to the exact place where the temple was, is there a Jewish temple? No, there's not. There's actually another religion's site is there. It's the, the Dome of the Rock. Uh, it's, a, it's a Muslim temple on top of the, the old Jewish temple. And so, can they rebuild it? No. Uh, they don't occupy that particular piece of land. They don't occupy all of Israel. And so a Jewish person still to this day would say, of course, Jesus wasn't the Messiah because he didn't fulfill that king role. 
But we as Christians would say, well, that, in some ways, that's kind of the point. He turned the whole thing on its head. And he, he said that the kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is within us. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the low, the meek. Uh, in, in God's kingdom, the, the people that have the highest place are the people that have, in some ways, uh, the lowest position in society. And we don't need um, an actual temple. We don't need actual land because the kingdom of God is within us. This, this great and beautiful idea that, that Jesus came as king in the heavenly way. And we as Christians would say, um, well, maybe Jesus didn't totally fulfill this utopian idea that there's peace on earth and the lion will lie down with the lamb and everyone's swords will be beaten into plowshares when the Messiah comes. But that will come. Like he came and he showed the way, he was the way himself. And we as Christians would say, there's enough evidence in the Old and New Testament to say that he's coming again and he will reign and there will be a resurrection of the dead and there will be peace on earth and, 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 and goodwill towards man and, and all these awesome things that will be fulfilled in the new earth and the new heavens that are to come. But we would say that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And we'd say that um, again and again because he fulfilled the prophecies. He was this perfect human being that was testified uh, to. And we'd say it like that, almost like this, uh, if you've ever heard anyone say, and I'm sure you're maybe guilty of it too, saying the phrase like ATM machine. Anybody ever say that? It's almost like really emphasizing that it's a machine because ATM stands for automated teller machine. So you're saying automated teller machine, machine. Um, but you kind of know the terms that we talked about today. If we say Jesus Christ the Messiah, we're really emphasizing the Messiah, the Christ, because we learned that, that Christ, uh, Christos, is the Greek word for the Masach, this, this Hebrew word for Messiah. It's the same definition, uh, different words in different languages. And so if we would say, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, we believe that. We'd say there's continuation of, of this God, Yahweh, who loved people enough to, to choose and to show the whole world salvation through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's to him that we believe in. The works of Jesus Christ, we'd say one of the best works, one of the most beautiful works that he accomplished was this fulfilling of the Old Testament, the anointed one that was to come, the, this Messiah that was to come. And so as we close, let's pray to him as, as God. Let's pray to him as Messiah. So Jesus, we come before you and we, we love you. We, we love your ways. We love you that you so beautifully fulfilled and turned on its head this whole kingdom and people and, and chose us, um, non-Jewish people, as, as your people, that, you, that we can be included into you because of our faith in, in you, God, that came and saved us from our sins, and we can be included in your people, uh, and we could be the temple of God. We, we thank you. That's such a beautiful honor that we can glorify you and honor you. Um, so God, we, we do that today. We love you. We praise your holy name. And everybody said, amen. Well, we're ending a little early today, so you can meet and greet as you leave. And then today, the 11 o'clock service, uh, the whole service will be uh, New Life Church, a recording, audio, and I think they're making a DVD. Uh, and so be aware of that when you go, that uh, it's not like a sermon and worship, it's, it's, it's worship. And so uh, it, it'll be cool to be a part of that. So meet somebody before you leave and have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.